Welcome back to the Pantry Podcast Season 2. We appreciate everybody tuning back in, and uh, we're going to keep telling this story and keep on going with the podcast, and, and really excited to, to bring you guys a little bit of something new in Season 2. So, Curtis, what we got going on, man? So, as Season 1, we focused pretty narrowly on our deployment on Spurwangar and kind of the events that immediately surrounded that. We're going to start branching out in Season 2, which I'm really excited uh, to start doing. And telling, you know, not only stories of other units that were there the same time that we were, or even close to when we were there, but Canadians that were there way before us. Some of the American forces that helped see Sperwingar. Um, you know, our first story, you know, very important to the history of Panjway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, while there's still a lot of Sperwingar stories in season two, because it's our podcast and we can do that. <laughs> uh, there's it's it's actually about 50 50 other people's stories and we're really excited uh to hear those stories and you know so far we've done like we've recorded like 10 episodes and it's been super rewarding to hear those yeah for sure i mean it's been good to get a sense of other people's experience outside of our ao but also outside of the timeline we were there you know and a lot of these people actually started reaching out to us very early on especially like the canadians and stuff like that and it was a kind of a surprise to see how eager the canadians were to I'll hear our story, but more importantly, they were like, you know, this is like somebody's doing something about Pandoy. So it was cool to be able to kind of bring that into the fold and, and develop that into the vision here. Because we wanted, we wanted to expand the scope and just kind of start getting a little bit wider perspective on things. And I think season two is setting us up to do that while also maintaining that current of Bravo company. Yeah. And, you know, it was actually kind of disheartening at times in season one to hear all these stories that we wanted to tell from other units. We're like, no, we're really committed to season one just being about Bravo Company. Uh, and it was super exciting once we were finally able to green light doing some of these new interviews, uh, which we even started doing some of these interviews while season one was still ongoing. So uh, we were excited to start talking to these people. I think we're, everyone is going to be really excited to hear these stories. And we hope that through the course of telling other stories of other units and other eras and other places of Andway, that the, the the picture of what it was like to fight in Panjway becomes more complete and that more listeners that listen to the podcast can feel like their experience has been represented as well. Yeah. And that's been a kind of core objective from the beginning anyways. I mean, if you go back and look at their original like kind of mission statement, essentially, that was a long-term vision for us was to get that larger, more encompassing perspective and the diverse range of guests that we have in season two is really starting to help us do that more than I anticipated, just to be honest with you. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and of course we start the season off on a kind of interesting foot. We, it's essentially the story that we begin with is essentially the prelude to our deployment in 2012. Yeah. And it, it really set the stage for what we were going to experience in 2012. Uh, as Anybody who may have Googled the Panjoy podcast at any point, one of the first things that comes up in addition to the podcast is the Panjoy Massacre. Um, on March 11th, 2012, Staff Sergeant Robert Bales walked off of his base uh, just east of Zangabad, uh, just west of Zangabad, I'm sorry, and murdered 16 uh, innocent Afghan civilians. And this happened days before we deployed. Yep, this, a week uh, before we deployed. The week before we deployed. Yes, yeah. And so we, you know, that at that at that time it was headline news. We knew it was in Panjway. You know, we knew where we were going. And so for us, it was like, what are we going to be walking into? We didn't know what to expect. So it really did kind of frame the the deployment for us in some ways. Um, so you know, when we first started this project, a couple of dudes reached out to us, uh, guys. 
Brandon Chong and James Alexander, who were who served under Bobby Vales, and they had a unique perspective to offer, and they had some interesting insights to offer into that story that maybe isn't in the official version. So it's definitely not widely reported. Yeah. Um, and you know, th- it's really important to note this is their first time talking about this publicly. Mm-hmm. Uh, both Brandon and James were official witnesses uh, in the case for the defense. I'm sorry, for the prosecution. Uh, they weren't called to testify. It wasn't and didn't end up becoming necessary because Robert Bales pleaded guilty to avoid the death penalty. Uh, but, you know, they were there. They served under him. They had served under him for months before the deployment. They knew him about as well as anybody else in that unit. And when all that stuff went down, they had a front row seat to every event that happened. Obviously, they weren't there when he was off the base. But as far as him coming onto the base and how he was received and how the facts and things started to unfold. And it was just really fascinating to see it through their eyes. And I think our listeners and the wider audience of all Americans will be interested to hear their perspective of the story. Yeah, they, uh, you know, when they reached out to us, obviously we, we vetted them, you know, pretty, pretty meticulously. We once we realized that these were legitimate dudes who had, you know, had a, something to actually say. We felt that this was a, an appropriate platform for them. We were, you know, we were glad and honored that they chose us to deliver this particular message, or not their message, but their, their perspective. And so, you know, we just wanted to provide them the space to do that. Um, that being said, Curtis. Yeah. So, as, as Luke mentioned, we did vet them. And that included getting a hold of the official copy of the, the Army's 15-6 investigation and some other primary source reporting, which we are posting on our website at www.thepandwaypodcast.com slash massacre so that you can, A, follow along if you'd like and look at the facts as they report them, um, but also so you know that you know, we didn't pull these guys out of a gutter and you know whatever. These, these guys were there. Their stories matched up. Uh, I, I didn't even tell them I had the 15-6 when I first started talking to them, uh, and they just started telling me stories that were in it. So it's really important to know that we vetted them. Second, it's extremely important uh, that you understand that they're going to say some things and, and bring some things to light that are going to be controversial. It's important to note that those views and opinions expressed by James and Brandon do not represent the opinions or views of the Panjoy podcast. Any retelling or clarification on the account of the hosts is simply for the purpose of clarity and does not reflect our personal opinions. We've gone to great lengths to conceal the identities of others involved and in no way intend to levy accusations or suggestions of guilt towards any individual. Again, for more information, including the official 15-6 investigation and any other supporting documents, visit www.panjoypodcast.com massacre. And with that, welcome to Season 2 of the Panjoy Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a, uh, a very unique episode of the Pandre Podcast. We are joined today by James Alexander and Brandon Chong, who were infantrymen assigned to 2-3 Infantry um, under Staff Sergeant Robert Bales. For those of you that are somewhat in the know, uh, Staff Sergeant Robert Bales is currently serving a life sentence for the, uh, the murder of, I believe, 16 women and children, uh, men, women, and children 
uh, Afghan civilians after he walked off his uh, base on March 12, 2012. We have the opportunity to talk to to Brandon and uh, James about what they saw and experienced as soldiers uh, directly under uh, Staff Sergeant Bale's command. And uh, we have kind of an opportunity to tell a story that hasn't been widely told. So I really want to thank you guys for reaching out for agreeing to speak publicly on the matter for the first time with us. That's a big deal to us that you would trust us with your story. So thank you. Big time. Yeah. And the, the crazy thing about this story uh, as it pertains to our deployment is it have this massacre happened a week before we deployed and we knew it was in Panjway. It, we knew it was where we were going. And so all of us were already kind of on edge because like this, tragedy had already happened there and uh, we were about to walk into the uh, to the aftermath of that so it really framed everything for us and we were you know we were trying to think like how is this going to impact our first few days there what's it going to look like what how are the people going to be behaving towards us so it was definitely in the front of our minds as well as at that point you know it was it was front page news too um so yeah we really appreciate you guys coming on and telling us your part of this story and uh maybe telling us some things that isn't really out there as much. So uh, to start things off, why don't you guys give us just a quick introduction of yourselves, how you ended up in, you know, Bell and By, all that good stuff. Hi, I'm James Alexander. I joined the Army in 2010 uh, to be an infantryman. Um, I graduated basic training and was assigned almost immediately to to head to Fort Lewis. Um, (laughs) The irony behind this is I joined the Army to see the world. I... Uh, was went to a recruiting station in Tacoma, Washington. Was <laughs> was assured I would go anywhere in the world. Um, attempted to switch um, to get a, a Germany uh, duty station with someone in basic training. My drill sergeant was like, "You don't want to do that. You're going to deploy if you go to this unit." And I was like, "Right on. Okay, I want to deploy." So that's what I did. I uh, ca- came to Fort Lewis in processed and ended up in Biko. All right. Uh, my name's Brandon Chong. Joined the Army in 2010 as well. Watched too much Band of Brothers. Uh, joined with an airborne <laughs> contract, thinking I was going to be a high-speed paratrooper. Ended up in a striker unit. Got there right when they got oh. back from Iraq, like around July, August. And then Bales took over the platoon in September. So I pretty much got to deal with him since day one of the unit. <laughs> so yeah. when did you guys deploy to Afghanistan? Uh, December 2nd, 2011. So you were there for just a few months before us and just a few months before all this shit went down. Yeah, it was crazy. It was like, it was like, I think Bales was there on ground for 89 days in total. So it's like, when you think about it, the time period that with all the stuff that really happened to us was just, I mean, it just like was a sprint. It just all happened really quickly and we were out of there, you know, by May. So, you know, it was, it was kind of nuts. Yeah. You guys first met, uh, Staff Sergeant Bales. Bobby, Robert, we'll use the the terms interchangeably. Uncle Bobby, yeah, uh, all that, yeah, yeah, um, and not not that we're not using these terms endearingly. It's just sure. you know, it's just what it's, he was called. Yeah. For, it's first names and how he was called, and it's it, you know, there's trust me, there's nothing endearing about this individual. Um, he was he he was serving as your platoon sergeant for a period of time. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So from September until we got back from NTC about August 2011. Um, yeah, my first day. First day in the unit, I walk in, you know, you meet your platoon sergeant and he's standing there in front of me and I can see over him because, you know, he's a kind of a shorter guy and I'm looking at, I'm looking down, I'm looking, kind of looking down at him and he's looking up at me and he's just like smiling, big smile on his face. So happy to see me. I'm like, oh man, here we go. And yeah, just, it was, it was shenanigans from then on, really, to be honest. It was like, you knew this guy was a different breed 
from kind of just the the five minute interactions I had with them. You know, it was just like you know these five minute interactions with them a day, maybe, and it was just like man, something is just a little off on the guy. But you yeah. never knew this bad, but you knew like man, it's a little bit different than you, most people. You know what I mean? And then the more I got to know him, and the more he ex- explained who he was and where he came from. And his lifestyle and stuff and his beliefs, it was like, okay, yeah, this guy is really different. He's kind of fucking strange, yeah, so. And you said that that started to really show itself during your PT sessions. Yeah, that was, I don't, Chong, I don't know if you remember this, but um, when the we did a PT session when he carried the rucksack and he was like, I can't lose, I can't, I, I, re- I refuse to lose to the first sergeant when we were doing that competition. Yeah, the he Black just, Horse Challenge. Yeah, exactly. So we're doing a, a, a company-wide competition and it's platoon versus platoon, you know, iron sharpens iron, that kind of thing. And so we had to carry this rucksack that was full of rocks and just weights, dead weights. And it was probably like, I don't know, 150 pounds. Like no one person should be able to carry this thing easily, right? And he just put, picked it up, put it on his back and just like couldn't really walk. <laughs> and, the, and the first hour was like, hey, man, like put that down, put that down. And he was just like, I refuse to lose. <laughs> and like just kept started really slowly walking until he eventually dropped it. It was just like, all right, this guy's just built different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we had PT sessions on Mondays. Every Monday was the same thing. <laughs> we did the exact same thing every Monday. Like you Bales knew loop. at zero, the Bales Loop at 0635. You knew no matter what, you could have dental appointment. You were on that Bales loop. You knew that you were doing that Bales loop until around eight, you know, 745 around or, or eight. And it was about a six to eight mile loop that he would take us on. And it was just brutal, man. It was like, it was fast when it was fast uphill and slow every other time. It was crazy. It was just designed to break you off. It was a drunk run, I guess, essentially. Mm. And could you describe kind of like your, your interactions with him? Obviously, they were different when he was your squad leader, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But when he was your platoon sergeant, what was his interaction like with you as an as a new uh, infantry private, and also with the uh, the other NCOs in the uh, in the company, or I guess in the in the platoon? Uh, I mean, as as a platoon sergeant, I really didn't have too much interaction with him. Um, you know, I was just I was just like a, a grenadier at the time, so went to Yakima, really had no interaction. Uh, NTC, I had a little bit more just cause I was an RTO and he would just do kind of like weird things. Like <laughs> specifically <laughs> we're in the transient tents and he, he would like sleep in his kit and then wake up in the middle of the morning and just start screaming at everybody because he was ready first. And it was just like bizarre things like that. And I don't know, he's just, just, yeah, I don't really, just, it's just a weird dude, but like nobody really expected anything like this. And as, as a platoon star, I didn't really have too much interaction with him as well. Right. You knew he was wired really tight and you knew that like he cared. He was very passionate. There was never a moment where he was like in the wrong uniform or ever jacked up. Never. He always had a haircut. It was never anything that would make a, a upper level leader look down on him and be like, okay, that soldier is jacked up. In fact, it was he checked the all the right boxes. Exactly. And, and in fact, he was, that's part of the reason why he got the mission to VSB Bellambay was because he was the most combat and experienced leader in the entire battalion, according to the people that make the decisions. Right, yeah, exactly. So he was supposed to be this model NCO for the battalion, especially, you know, the model for the company for sure. But yeah, just crazy, yeah, so. We could, and we could probably go ad nauseum about uh, how that's uh, an institutional issue in the military that takes us way off the track for what we're talking about today. No, you're good. No, it's good. But people, it's good to hear that. So leading up to the deployment, especially like right around the time you deployed, you guys began to get a sense of 
kind of what this guy is like and what his personality is like. And, and you're also beginning to get this sense that something's just a little off, right? Then, you know, what did you guys, what have you heard about him leading up to that point? I mean, I'm sure Rimmer Mills churned about this dude because he had a pretty serious uh, military history, right? He deployed, what, how many times to Iraq? Oh, uh, this would have been his fourth one to out fourth? of ours, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'd heard like some stories like in 2007 on uh, the Battle of Najaf, he had seen some stuff and I think he had um, lost part of his foot there as well. Uh, he had had a rollover in the uh, deployment prior in 2009-2010 and uh, he'd always speak to us like if he, he's like, hey, if you guys ever smoke anybody, just make sure you take their hats, all right? You make sure you take them <laughs> as a trophy. That was like one big thing of his, yeah, just make sure we take a trophy. Um, yeah, it's kind of things like that. Yeah. So, so he's telling you when you kill someone pick something yeah. off their body to take yeah, I can, the trophy. I can see him right now exactly where he said it. it was right behind the company with this little crappy defect back there and he said it right. I can see it right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we found out we we're going to deploy, he was pretty much like, all right, here's the here's the game plan for being, I don't even know if he knew who was going to be the squad leader at that time. I think he thought, still thought he was going to be the platoon sergeant, potentially. Yeah, because that, that change happened after NTC, is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. We, yeah, we were in NTC when we actually, so one of our team leaders saw uh his wife had sent him like a CNN article saying our brigade was going to deploy in wintertime. Right. And we're like, oh, okay, great way to find out. <laughs> and then like the day we got back from NTC, I'm pretty sure that's when our new platoon sergeant was like waiting for us. Like he, we got off the buses, our new platoon sergeant was just standing there. Did that appear to affect uh, Bobby when he was basically essentially demoted from platoon sergeant to, to squad leader? <sighs> Dude, I mean, you like killed the, you're like killing this man's child almost. I mean, he yeah. loved... I mean, that was being a platoon lesson. Like you could tell when he takes pride in something, he would stand, you know, standing in front of that formation is like a, an honored, time honored tradition, right? Like being sure. a platoon sergeant, turning around and having 30 people like look back at you and you know, you, you have complete command and control over them. Like, yeah. and he abused that power, but you know, like during PT sessions, he would stand in the front and, you know, first sergeant's doing his thing or whatever. And he would just be joking around like the whole time, but you could tell he was doing it for an audience. So he really loved having right. like the captive audience and having that attention. So yeah, that's just my opinion, but yeah, yeah, from what I observed, sure. I mean, it was pretty interesting that they didn't even move him out of the, the platoon or the right. company. So he, he literally got demoted and then kind of couldn't get over that. So I, he was almost like the assistant platoon sergeant. Like they were kind of just always going at it. Like the new platoon right. sergeant would try to change something around. He'd be like, no, we, don't, we shouldn't do it. We always done it like this for the past six months, blah, blah, blah. Right. Exactly. exactly. But I mean, he was a staff sergeant. I mean, at some point you, you expect this, that they're going to slot somebody in as a sergeant for his class to fill the proper role. Like he was serving in a role above his rank, not the other way around. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, but I can definitely see you do it for six months. That's your platoon. It, not a great thing to have it taken away, especially right before deployment when. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I, th I think he would have acted differently if the platoon sergeant that came in was like a tab dude or like, like we had a, like my team leader came from uh bat, right? Like he came over mm -hmm. from bat for the deployment basically. So I think it would be different if he had like some guy like that, that you could like honestly see like, okay, this guy is far more qualified to lead than I am, but he basically saw the other guys as equal. And so that, that was the thing that I think really caused the, a lot of the issue because Bobby was a team player for the most part. Like he, I feel like if his role was to like take a squad and go to VSP Balanbai, he would have done it, but he still wanted control. You know what I mean? And that's right. the thing that he was lacking when he uh, lost his platoon sergeant ship, we'll call it. When he got demoted, uh, not demoted, but he basically moved over to, uh, to being a, a squad leader. 
um, were you guys in the same squad together at that time and he just took over or how did that, how did that all play out? Um, had a task org different too, right? Cause we were changing. Yeah. So before, before mission. that I was yeah. in RTO, uh, and I think you were in what second squad, second squad under. Yeah. So yeah. basically <laughs> once, uh, the new platoon starting came in, that's when we did a new draft and just the whole platoon lined up, all four squadlers lined up and just you, 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 you come in here and us two were lucky enough to go with old Bobby B. Yeah. It's just, I like he drafted us because I think he knew that we were like that we were the task org was going to change. He knew that like having people with diverse skill set was going to be like part of the mission. So he wanted someone that could drive and he wanted someone that was good with an RTO more than he wanted someone that was like just good at PT where the other platoon sergeants or I mean the other squad leaders seemed to like focus on like keeping their squad integral as opposed to like uh, really changing it for the mission that we were about to go on with SF. So. Yeah, and y'all's mission um, was brand new on the docket in terms of what 11 Bravos were doing around that time. And in the next few years of the, of the fight in Afghanistan, it became more and more common. But up to that point, it was kind of rare for, for what exactly you guys did. So you deployed in December, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So December yeah. 2011. Um, so what, what was your mission? What were you doing? And then tell us where were you at and like you know what, what that looked like for you guys. So we got to Manus, what, December December 2nd or December 4th, something like that. We were there for like three days. I'm sorry, December 4th. Then we get to uh, CAF. We were there for uh, from December 7th to December 14th. So we spent seven days on CAF um, and basically living inside of the clamshell bunks, trying to figure out what we were doing. Um, the, <laughs> the, uh, we knew our mission was different because of the brief that we got at CAF, we got told to go over to like by the poo pond. And uh, if the famous poo pond, we went to a theater there where we got, we got a brief by this like really young major. Yeah. Like he was an <laughs> SF major, right? And he, he was stood up there and he had like the full head of hair to the side. And it was like, he was in full presentation mode, hand in his pocket. And he was like giving this, giving us this presentation about where we were going in this giant map. Mm. And <laughs> we we knew at that point we were going to Bellambay. We had been told like, yeah, you're going to Padua, we're going to Bellambay. Okay, we know this. And we're looking at the map and it shows like all of the different like types of injuries and type of uh, explosives that are go- in the area and kind of weapons that are in the area. And it's showing different VSPs. And some of the VSPs like have sporadic small arms fire and, you know, and then you go like to look where we are and it's like IED threat, um, <laughs> uh, Act like rifle, small arms fire, and like persistent small arms fire, um, you know, RPG threat, like all of these things are up there. And we're just like, holy crap, man, here we go. Like we're going into it. Like, and you can see, like, you can see visibly people being like, oh my God, thank you that they weren't going to this place. It's because we're all just in the room getting briefed, you know, it's yeah. crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> it was so what wild. Was, uh, what was Bell's kind of attitude like when you guys got spun up to go out there? And also uh, real quick, what's a VSP for people who aren't? In the know. Oh, vi- uh, village stability platform to perform village stability operations. <laughs> <laughs> Very well put. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that, 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 is, that is some army speak right there. Yeah. Yep. AKA cool. a base cool. to run sneaky, sneaky operations yeah. out of. <laughs> yes. Well, I think it's, it's important to note, and we'll get into the, the geography of Blamby here in a second, but it's unlike a lot of cops and thobs that build themselves up all this huge standoff. Mm-hmm. They put themselves in the middle of the field and they put all these layers of defenses. You know, the VSPs were in the villages. 
you know, they were they're almost like you couldn't even tell they were there from the outside unless you were bird's eye looking down. Um, yeah, which sure. is in itself a very unique and very un or non tactical <laughs> um, uh, approach to to doing business in Afghanistan. Yeah, I mean, definitely unconventional. Within hand grenade range of the village, right? Because yeah, you know yeah, we because yeah. we gotten the word in like August we're deploying, and then around September, you know things started trickling down. Like, hey, we're we're gonna be deployed with with special forces. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Like, yeah. it just didn't seem like a right? weird rumor. PNM, and then the yeah, battalion yeah. commander was like, no, nah, we're doing some a new mission. We're doing with special forces. And then uh, Sergeant Major was like, look, half you guys can't pass a PT test, but you just passed selection. <laughs> so this <laughs> is kind of weird, yeah. Yeah, that was so, an all I time mean, that was an all time horseshoe moment. We're all gathered around in a horseshoe after PT, you oh know, God. and we're like, Sergeant Major's just like you looking at us, like all the fat bodies, and like you, know, <laughs> you guys can't pass a PT test, but you just got selected. And it was like, holy crap, right. what is going on? This is crazy. So, yeah, man. I mean, it's brand new, like I said, and I mean, it's from from the outside looking in, it seems like a really cool assignment, right? Because it's kind of unique, and you're getting the insider's perspective on some things, which is obviously important to this bell's narrative um so you know when you guys got attached to this very specific and kind of high speed appealing mission what was bell's like what was his demeanor like whenever you guys got wind that you're going out the bell and by uh initially he was excited 100 i know he said it was kind of something he'd always wanted to do he, i know he said one of his dreams was to go on patrol in a razor and be in the passenger side gunning on a 240 which he actually got uh, to do eventually. Not that I want to have anything in common with this guy, but I have to agree with him on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool dream, but man. So yeah, right. he was a hundred percent for it, you know? Right. Yeah. So he was ready yeah. to roll. Huh? Yeah. He was like, cause he had spent time as a sniper section. So he kind of felt like he could add all these dimensions and he understood kind of the warfare that we were going to be going to. So he thought that, you know, his tactical knowledge, it would be like, more applicable in perhaps like a mount environment than it would be like what we had been doing literally up until we deployed, which was striker on striker. I mean, we had yeah. done literally like our patrol bases were just a, a like a horseshoe of strikers. Like, yeah, it's just crazy. Circle the wagons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's just crazy. Because they kept Did, telling us we're going to Libya. Like we're training for Libya because it was like you yeah. know 2011. So. Yeah, oh, right. yeah, that's right. Yeah. You'd be rolling around in Libya and then to find out it's like, oh, actually, you're not going to be needing these vehicles that you just spent, you know, days and weeks going to gunnery for at Yakima yep. and like <laughs> learning how yep. to mount and dismount and yep. like assigning roles. And, you know, like I was a driver. Right. So that was my thing. A brand new private. They were like, yeah, you're going to be a driver. I'm like, why? They're like, you're going to be a driver. I'm like, OK, fine. So I was made driver slash armorer. And I was like the the helper, and so that job Fine. is just it was just it's a brutal, good job man. To have, just, actually, yeah. I, well, yeah. not when you have to go do mo motor pool Monday, like maintenance every single <laughs> yeah. Monday, and you're the no, driver. No, no, so. Yeah, the driver <laughs> sucks. The assistant yeah. armor. That's that. That's the opportunity for a lot of sham there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I took full um, advantage of that one, but it was cool because yeah. I got to. I also got to interface with the platoon sergeant, and that was Bales yep. at the time. So yeah. that was like I. He basically also I lived in the barracks, and that was the important thing too. We have to talk about is. We literally lived where we worked. Like mm -hmm. the company was a level below where the barracks were. Oh, so God. God. like like when when if you needed something, it was too easy. We just we'd stay in our rooms. We basically had like squad rooms. And my mm -hmm. room, although it had three people in it, including myself, 
what became a squad room. And we'd have like a futon, I had a computer and a printer. And that's why I was the armor because I had a printer, I could print out Excel, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> it became like, hey, you're like, you know, you're available and you're not gonna screw this up too badly because if you do, we'll just make you do pushups. Like, sure. okay, or touch the tank, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. all right, Raj, you know? So, mm -hmm. so when you guys um, got the bell and buy, you know, what were you gonna ask something, Curtis? Oh, I was, I was gonna ask if anybody else in your squad had been to Afghanistan at all. Um, only one. Uh, just the guy came from Ranger Bat was only one. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And he, and he had done so in his capacity as a Ranger? Yes. So you you actually had no on-the-ground, like, conventional infantry experience in your, in your squad? Yeah, he had two deployments to Afghanistan and then came to us, like, two months before ours. And, guys, and we've, we've talked about this in previous episodes, like, Obviously, it counts that he went to Afghanistan, but when you go as part of a raid force, it's really not the same as occupying and living in an AO and patrolling it daily during the daytime, um, which was something that our, our company had the same kind of deficiency. We had two guys mm. that had been to Afghanistan in, in, a, in an infantry capacity. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just different. <laughs> it, was, it was brand new. We were mechanized. I mean, strikers are basically mechanized. You, yeah. It was very out of place for us to be in the places that we were. I remember we got we had classes on on Afghanistan um, that were given by a, a, a brand new uh, E five that showed up from Tenth Mountain. Chong, you remember that? And he gave us a class um, in the barracks, and it was like he gave us these like past like learn Pashto like notebooks and like yeah. literally did like a Wikipedia lesson of like okay there are however many million people and like here's the currency and it's like what are we like what's going on here because we had, i mean we had no clue no one and like it was mandatory that everybody showed up it was crazy i can't believe that like that was everything the he taught you was useless because he went to kunar and right exactly and it's completely yeah. exactly exactly but it was like we just need we need classes whipped up for these guys to figure out like where they're going what their mission is that kind yeah. of thing so another yeah. check the box training some of that yeah. classic yeah stand a high excel uh, excelling army training there yep. oh yeah exactly so but, when you uh, got to balambi um can you kind of describe what your roles were in supporting i mean with the, that you can say obviously you were you're supporting special forces so there's a lot of stuff we can't really go into but like in general what was your role in supporting those guys uh i would say initially just kind of beefing up security on patrols uh helping up with base defense help building up the uh vsp itself i mean i we were integrated far better than i expected i kind of thought we were just gonna be like hey man fill these sandbags and don't yeah. say nothing but they actually integrated in, in patrols and felt like we were part of the team for the most part as soon as we got there with third group. And that was, did that include a lot of uh, like foot patrols outside the wire? Yes. When we first got there, there was a SIGINT team that was there as well, a Navy SIGINT mm -hmm. team. And when they did the rip with the, uh, the, the ODA switched, the SIGINT team also left. So basically they trained us up on how to use it. So we became like these proprietary knowledge bases in the of how how what like frequencies to look at like how to run the the, the wolfhound so it became like a bunch of um we really became like as as much enablers as it be, as we could you know trying to like allow the sf guys to make great decisions and that's like kind of, of our role i don't know and then carrying shit like <laughs> yeah uh, definitely yeah carrying. like we can't we, we pack mule we pack yeah here you go time. pfc here's the mark 48 <laughs> yep. you're gonna love it yep. yeah it was yeah. like 
It was like I had the Wolfhound and, you know, a couple extra radios and some C4 and some other random stuff that I didn't even know was mine. But, you know, that was like, hey, we need to carry this in case we run out or something. It was like, all right, yeah, like I'm part of the team. Sure. Like, you know what I mean? Meanwhile, yeah. long hair over there is walking around with nothing but a plate carrier on. Right. HK416. Right. Like, you guys <laughs> yeah. good? Why are you guys sucking? It's like, what? Yeah. Selection starts every two weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I started out as a saw gunner, and then probably two, three weeks into it, they made me, I guess, the conventional RTO. So I got trained up by the 18 Echo, and they just basically had me filling all the radios for the trucks and um, calling up to the SODIF on all the patrols for about a mm-hmm. month or two. Until yeah, seventh was, group came in, that was cool. It nice. was cool to hear Chong calling up, man. Like you hear yeah. him like calling up all these different like lingo. I'd be terrified, and, like, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, the, the the other thing I had that was awesome that they really liked was the two hundred three. So yeah, um, the thing that yeah. I I basically my weapon was a piece of junk. Um, no offense to the anybody in the uh, arms room that I tried to help out. I, tr- I tried to help out all the other soldiers before I helped myself, but. I mean, I had a M68 and a set and a set of seven deltas out there. Oh, like it was That's rough. It, I, I mean, we were pretty much useless at night, and we really couldn't see anything with zoom. So the only only uh, saving grace I had was the 203, which I got to fire all the time. Nice. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Grenade launchers, I would I would argue, are a top three must for combat in Pandroy. Yeah, man, we, yeah, we and almost, lots of them. Like everybody should <laughs> yeah. have one. Yeah, yeah we, we rolled with a lot of forty mic. Yeah, mic, a lot. So. Yeah, every, every bit that we could get. Yeah. So you guys are there. You're kind of hitting your lick on your mission set. I'm sure you're kind of getting into the pace of things. Um, but to kind of get us back on bales, like, what did you see? What kind of stuff were you guys seeing on him, or him do as you as he lead up to this? you know, this crazy event that happens in March. I mean, was he starting to crack? Was he starting to show little fissures? I mean, what was going on with him, at least from, from y'all's perspective? Man, I mean, I remember our first patrol, we were what, dude, like 20 meters outside the gate, 50 meters outside the gate. So we had yeah. we had gone, just kind of done a little loop. Uh, we were jumping some walls. So we thought we were far. We'd maybe been out Yeah, we like got completely disoriented. We were like making a, a bunch of left turns, you know what I mean? Mm. And mm-hmm. basically just to do a little circle, but yeah, go ahead, my bad. And then we <laughs> ended up back on the road and we see like uh, a dude coming on a motorcycle and he's like, if this guy gets any closer, we're going to light him up. And when everyone's like, everyone's on edge at this point, it's our first patrol. And it turns out we like literally in front of the gate and we cannot, like if we would have <laughs> fired, we would have hit like the ANA tower, like right behind yeah. us. Yeah, like, just, the, yeah. His situational awareness was off. Like it was, we found an HME compound, literally right there, right outside of our gate. Uh, like homemade explosives. Yeah. So yeah, the they were doing a bip blow in place, and like while we were doing that, you know, the infantry dudes are going to set up a little fucking uh, cordon security. So mm-hmm. Brandon and I are like facing down Charlottetown Road, and we're like lying down on the road, and he's got his saw up, and there's this old man that comes up on a bicycle. And, you know, we're like, and very common sight in Pantry. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. no, duh. Like I've been here five minutes, but this guy seems pretty damn innocent to me. I mean, I don't know yeah. anything, you know, usually, you know, and then the later you find out it's the old guys you have to worry about, but, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> he was just doing some reconnaissance. Is exactly. All, you know? Exactly. So yeah. maybe he was on his way to the HME lab to check it out, but you know, you yeah. never know. so I mean, it, Bale's just like, like, like foaming at the mouth, man, like mm-hmm. hat. Helmet tilted to the side, like just at looking crazy, like 
if you guys need to smoke these guys, just just go ahead and do it. Don't even worry. Just go ahead and smoke them. And then we're and like, I'm looking at Brandon like, bro, I'm not ready to kill this dude. I don't know about you. Yeah. And no, sir. Like, no, sir. I'm, there's no way I'm killing this dude right now. Like, I don't really, yeah. unless he blows himself up. There's no, that's like the only way he's dying. So, yeah. you know, it's like, I mean, whatever. it's crazy that, I mean, obviously this guy's fucking nuts to start with, but you know, the fact that he's telling you to pull a trigger on somebody with no clear right. indication, no no PID on weapons or yeah. anything. Hardly like any experience in the AO either. No, yeah, right. being your first patrol and he's trying to get you to pull the trigger on people that obviously had no no reason to be on the receiving end of y'all's wrath, you know? Right. So and, that's... And uh, we're that's, also literally outside of our gate. It made no sense. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. It's yeah, like it was, he, he was so disoriented by his own action, just continually like going, basically trying to be a team leader. That was what I was so interesting is that he kind of like sort of saw us as like part of his team almost and try to like do team leader stuff. And it was mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah, but we just got here. Like there's a bunch of SF dudes who have been here for nine plus months, plus however, however, how many other deployments they've had and long they've been. And they seem yeah. pretty relaxed about the situation. We should probably just go with yeah. what they're doing. You know I, what I mean? Yeah, monkey see, monkey do, right? Like, but yeah. he wasn't like that, you know? Hmm. Now, when we talked before in some of the pre-interviews, you mentioned that most of your contact was either like from right outside the gate or like while you were in in the base. Do you think it was it was frustrating for him to not get into anything further out where he kind of had the ability to maneuver his, you know, his guys and get into an actual firefight that was that he controlled and that wasn't under the control of the SF guys? I don't know. I don't think he wanted to fire and maneuver. I I don't think that that's what he wanted to do. I just think he wanted to like basically go live and do because we did 36 hour missions where we would take contact right yeah and his he enjoyed those very much (laughs) and Mm. he would just like he would be like this is what we need to be doing you know we need to be out here all the time like pulling four days and like doing patrol bases and that kind of stuff like he wanted to be more in the fight than back at our base which yeah and that, that's kind of what i was getting was kind right of what I was like i don't at, think he understood that, he, that yeah. our base was in the fight you know what i mean like that yes, was the yeah, whole point yeah. of the base was right. to be yeah. in the fight right like the base right, was there yeah. si- simply with a giant american flag to be like hey we're here you know right like, yeah now those 36 hour missions you talk about is that where you would you do a patrol you'd occupy a compound and hang out there for a few days and then go back kind of like patrol base ops Absolutely. Yeah. We just get up on top of roofs and, you know, get overwatch onto the main cluster of village. So we did it in Najibian, Alakozai once as well. Um, so basically areas that uh, Bales ended up going to and hitting hmm. uh, were areas that we had done 36 hour missions on and so forth. Um, hmm. So he was familiar with the routes to and from those villages and the villages yeah, themselves. Absolutely. And we probably and then, went to those villages every couple of days by every day or two, either right. one. Right. Mm-hmm. Just it depends how deep and how far. Sometimes we just go just for what would seem like a presence patrol, but it was really probably like, hey, just going to go check in our, you know, we'd get some informant that would come through the mm-hmm. gate and he'd be like, hey, something's going on over here. And then we'd get action. And then like, you know, a day or two later, we'd go and check out these areas and or like we'd get shot at by a sniper. And then a day or two later, we'd go walk to that area and just to like just to let them know that we weren't going to allow it to kind of happen to us over and over again. But yeah. Now, what was what was the IED threat like yeah. going to and from those villages? Because I can tell you right now, you know, July and Panjoy, we, we couldn't have done what you guys did without a that massive yeah. mind clearing element. Like, were they just not on the roads at all at that time, or you kind of describe what it was like? Um, on our first thirty six hour mission, which had to have been like early January, 
uh, went out. Well, I didn't go on that one specifically, but they went out to Western Bellumbi, and then on the way back, uh, found five IEDs on the way back. Wow. So, um, <laughs> so and then who, yeah, they who found was the doing H- the mine clearing? Was that was that Afghan? Was one of the Afghan mine clearing wow. forces, or was that uh, so? The 18, that, that was one of the Echo or. One of the great things about being with SF is all the attachments. So we would have like yeah. Navy EOD, Army EOD, and these were like high-ranking dudes, most likely. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, like I would, I don't know, like specifically designed for these missions. So you could right. tell that, like, same with like the working dogs that we had, like all the handlers. All these guys were like top-tier professionals. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, yeah. So, so they were yeah. there, but they were just so they, good at finding them. Yeah, on that specific, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. they were efficient. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. On that specific mission, I think it was still Army. Army EOD was still there. Mm. Yeah, we. Uh, I mean, we would sometimes like we would be like, okay, is that compound clear? And they'd be like, potentially. <laughs> and it's like, okay, it's like that's the answer we would get because you never really know, man. Like we're sweeping, we're sweeping. They were sweeping. It seems like just to move the element swiftly, more so yeah. than it was like concerned with like moving vehicles and like setting right. up it's like deep like deep entrenched uh, defenses or anything like that you know so well i mean because i i've always thought about you know and again we'll get to his movements later but the, the amount of ground that he covered yeah, and he had to have, he, he used the roads to get to those villages yeah. the fact that he didn't get blown up doing Shocking that right. still yeah. blows my mind like I, I don't i don't know how and tragic if he could have got blown up it, well, yeah it could have saved a lot of lives yeah right lives, yeah uh, but then he'd, you know, be, be probably a completely different story we're talking about. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. As you guys are going through the deployment and you're getting into your licks, um, you start to see these characteristics of bales really come to the surface. Was it a gradual kind of increase of his act, the way he was about things, or was it still just these series of small little glimpses y'all were getting? Well, you know, you could you could start it with the jingle truck incident. Where you- <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of incidents to talk about, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. we think about um, let's talk yeah, about the, the jingle truck incident because yeah, that's that ahead. one's actually go heavily ahead. cited in the in the fifteen six investigation sure. and yeah. subsequent you know reporting as kind of a a huge red flag that was not necessarily missed, but you know, had it been placed in the proper context, maybe could have I don't know. Just t- kind of tell us what happened um, and why why that's kind of important to the story going forward. Go ahead, dude. All right. So we used to get – we had these basically freezer connexes. Um, that was how we had food. Like that was the one thing about living out in these very remote areas is that you had a, basically a freezer connex that <laughs> you lived out of that you had to make sure was fully stocked. That was one of the great jobs about being infantry is that we get to do that too. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> the jingle truck would arrive. Like we would – so we didn't have laundry facilities, so we would always have to drive back and forth to CAF. Um, so there'd always be a mission to back and forth to CAF, at least one or two trucks. And mm-hmm. so we would like, and the they would the vehicle would go out and then come back with like a jingle truck full of mail or supplies, right? Almost every time. And so this, this thankfully, this jingle truck made it. We've had our mail blown up before, so um, <laughs> this jingle truck made it, and all these frozen like pallets of like like uh, steaks and all these like food is there. We're unloading it. And uh, the the driver is the first one to grab the pallet and he's passing it like a chain down the chain and Bales is the next sure. one. And mm. so the driver is trying to pass stuff down the chain and uh, <laughs> he hit Bales one time because he's moving faster than Bales could pass it off. And so Bales kind of like yelled at him, gave him like a snarl, like don't hit me again. But the driver obviously well, didn't really speak English. 
but was yeah, kind of like, I don't really understand what you're yelling about, dude. I'm trying to unload this truck and get the hell out of here because I'm not from here and there's Taliban. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? like, yeah. I'm scared. I'm scared shitless. Like I, I'm probably getting paid extra to do this route. Like, you know what I mean? So all these things are going yeah. through this guy's head. So, uh, this guy would have been an Afghan local. Yeah. Yeah. Like probably Afghan, some dude from Kandahar city or something. Probably, yeah. Sh- maybe not more from the Northern part. You know what I mean? Yeah, Cause they just contract true. from all over. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> he hits him again with the, th- with another item and Bales mm. turns around and grabs him and just starts punching him in the face. Like hmm. grabbing him. They're wrestling inside the thing. And the guy is just scared out of his mind. And I'm like four people down the chain away. Like looking at this, like, holy, what is going on? You know, like, is is he really about to like fight this dude inside of a jingle truck? Like, is this really happening right now? It was just yeah. kind of, it was, it was surreal. Like, what is going on? Yeah. Did that not raise some stink with any of your higher ups or with nobody gave a shit? I don't think it even left the VSP, honestly. Yeah. I, yeah. When you say higher ups, you have to understand, man, we're completely decentralized at this point. Yeah. So we're falling well, under, we don't even have a lieutenant. I mean, like that's what people like yeah. fail yeah. to understand is like, we were literally two squads. Like that was it. With, and he was the, like, and a staff sergeant was the highest ranking. And the staff sergeant was the highest guy. Like there was no, so, yeah. So what about the SF guys? I mean, the, oh. the had obviously had to create some sort of an issue for them. Was it just, do they address it offline, you know, in the way the NCOs deal with fellow NCOs or was exactly. it? Exactly. That's how yeah. it was okay. handled. Had to I have believe been. It had to have been handled NCO to NCO. Like, I can't, I mean, the other thing is we were the ones doing the work, right? Like the SF yeah. dudes, if, if there's a jingle truck coming in, you know what they're doing security because they know, or they're going to check the blimps because they know that <laughs> <laughs> the Taliban are going to move be on us there. because we have action. So they're yeah. staying, they're like, you know, when we say we're staying in the fight, like those guys were in the fight all the time, you know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, other at nighttime when we pulled guard, so. Now at this time had seventh group swapped in for third group? Uh, yeah, seventh so. group was there at the yeah. time. Yeah. Okay. And how was that transition and did that have any effect on, you know, Bales? Was he, did it throw him off? Was he finally getting comfortable and then there's a whole change of leadership and now he has to like relearn all the ropes or was he pretty pretty agreeable to the switch uh i think he was a little disappointed with the uh, new tempo of seventh group uh third group was definitely more aggressive but they'd been there longer so they sure. kind of knew what was going on and how to deal with things and uh, i mm-hmm. think he was a little disappointed that seventh group wasn't quite as aggressive um and i th- I, th- I i mean this is my personal opinion i kind of feel like when seventh group came in they you know they just looked down on us a little bit we're just regular infantry dudes these are SF guys. I don't. I don't think they had done a VSP mission yet prior to this one. So, like third group, by the time we got there, they had two different conventional infantry units. So they kind of, I think, had a better understanding of a working relationship with the conventional side. Yeah, and our capabilities as well. Like we were limited. <laughs> we sure. were extremely yeah. limited, and we were we would only go as far as they could take us. Right. So, like if they wanted us to get into the fight, they would have to take us to the fight because there's no way that we these two squads could operate really in that area without them or the EOD yeah. or any, or the handlers. Cause you didn't have your own trucks and all that kind of no, stuff. I mean, you, no, you, were, you exactly. fell in under all their stuff, all their stuff. Like we were, we were basically renters. Like we re rented, you know, the, <laughs> like they owned the trucks and we would rent them, you know, that's how it yeah. works. But you know, it's, it was a great relationship. I have like from my own personal standpoint, like to be treated like, 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 uh, with some merit, like they, it was almost like, like an adult. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> almost adult. like, yeah. okay, you guys are here. 
we're not getting anybody else. We don't even have right. a full SF team because we've got so many dudes getting blown up and getting injured and whatever, trying to get out here. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, you guys are just going to have to do these jobs and you're going to have to figure it out. And that was the theme that, that stayed throughout, you know, whether it was filling yeah. sandbags or putting up HESCOs, it was like, you guys are going to have to do it. You know what I mean? Because there isn't yeah. anybody else to rely on. So, yeah. Now, were right. there were there other non-military assets on that base that were also doing role, that also performing tasks? I believe so. Yes, most definitely. Like there were a, a few. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, you know, I'm guessing you can't talk about what they were doing, but just to kind of set the stage that it was it was a military operation, but there were there were other assets in play. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of obvious just some of the like the disposition and the change in characters and like. Right. And yeah. did, did you know that those individuals were were civilians, or was that kind of just kind of left open to? You don't you don't ask about those. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. It, we're all we're all on a first name basis, so right. like that is what it is, and you know yeah. what I mean. It's like you don't have to ask questions. Like we're all here. You know you're for the, you know you're working for the U.S. So at that point it doesn't really matter, you know. And sure. like, you know, because uh, mm. we have to also remember there was also green and blues going on at this time and that kind of stuff. So yeah. we were like s just completely skeptical of everyone on the base, minus the uh, the U.S. guys, you know. Sure. So yeah. It was just like, if you're helping, we're, we'll we'll take it, you know. So. What about the Afghans? How close were you guys to to where they were living and working? <laughs> 20 like I don't know, 25 we, meters man we oh, were inter, we were we were inter intermingled man we would like we they'd be washing their clothes and we'd be washing our clothes like we yeah. would wash our clothes in the sink and they'd be like in the outdoor plumbing washing their clothes like we'd be you know we'd be on guard at night and we'd look across and then the next literally the next rooftop is them on guard looking back at us like <laughs> it was just like man, okay sketch me out yeah then, uh, we used so to watch uh, blues. we used to watch a deal or no deal with those guys Yep. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. And and they, they, and they would uh, they would blur out the the ankles on TV. Yeah. Oh, really? Yep. It was crazy. Wow, that's interesting. We would like um, uh, they would like play volleyball and soccer against each other, like anything. Because yeah. when, when it was getting kind of obvious, it was like I, I love all my infantry dudes, but I've known you guys for like months and months and months and i don't know anybody else like i want to go out here and see like who else is here kind of thing so i was really curious to meet folks and like ask some questions and just basically build rapport with some of the afghans especially um the interpreters like those guys are unbelievable mm -hmm. those guys and gals you know so yeah yeah gals interpreters yeah we had one yeah. female interpreter yeah it's really wild. so yeah. did you guys have a fat team on the cop or was it just her no was she was just solo dolo solo really? dolo, wow. riding it out and yeah she she was she was a warrior man that chick was that chick was badass yeah for sure was she yeah. american or i don't want to tell i don't remember yeah <laughs> i don't know she not was, an accented english then huh? she was middle age uh, i would say middle aged, but she was probably in her 30s or i mean huh. late late 30s early 40s and like she had been ex probably experiencing the afghan lifestyle for a very long time so gotcha like she mm -hmm. but she also was dark like every dialect so that's the other thing about our interpreters we we didn't have an interpreter that was just specialized in one we'd have them multi like multi multilingual to be able to address both the sure. ana and the taf and the uh taliban locals basically yeah yeah so I remember we, we had a we had one female interpreter uh for a brief period of time in spare one garden she was scottish yeah. We just thought it was weird that there was a middle-aged scottish chick that spoke flawless pashto it was just yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, it's just unique yeah. I, uh, I would imagine sure. yours was 
probably, and this is a pretty common story, is that they were... Uh, um, American citizen. They were American citizen, but they were born in Afghanistan, fled during the Soviet, that kind of thing. That, that yeah. seemed like a pretty common backstory for those higher-level interpreters. Especially yeah. with that age group, too. kind of makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that sounds about right. But hey, uh, and uh, if she's cool. watching, if you want to come on the show, that would be fascinating. <laughs> we would love to have you. That would yes. be fascinating. Yeah. Um. So as you know, as you're you're, cre- you're creeping through and you're getting to these ticks and you know, you're, you're watching you know Robert. But I mean, I understand like you're not really watching him. Like you think he's going to go off and do what he's going to do. He's like he's just your boss and you uh, do what he says and right. you roll your eyes when he does something crazy. But um. Things started to kind of reach a fever pitch in March, obviously. Hmm. Um, can you kind of explain? Because the, the popular narrative is that, uh, or the narrative that he tried to sell with his defense attorneys is that he was reacting out of post-traumatic stress because he watched his buddy lose his leg. Right. Uh, you know, or, or his arm or something a couple of days before. Yeah. Which was not the case. Correct. Um, so could you kind of walk us through the events that actually happened? The, the IED incident that happened, I believe, was on the 5th. Um, which was not the day before, it was like a week before. <laughs> right. Um, what what happened there and then kind of how that started to lead towards March 12th. So we uh, so the we had the switch of ODA teams in February, right? So f- around February 1st, that's when they switched. And we had gone on mission with them. And so we had walked around and like basically interfaced with the locals in both the villages. So we had had an idea, okay, we have the same on-the-ground assessment that these are the locals in the areas, right? Like this is the, these are the players. These are the frequencies that we need to monitor. So we were listening pretty carefully to um, all Taliban members in and around the uh, VSP, like literally listening to them on the ICOM radios. So we had a really good understanding of where the enemy or where we thought the enemy combatants were and what their actions were going to be moving forward. Um, the IED threat that you're talking about, that happened um, – when one of our trucks was on the way back from Kandahar, like I was explaining, we, we did all these kind of like log packs back and forth just to just to get stuff, right? right? Like nudie mags, cigarettes, like whatever we needed, <laughs> coffee, like we would have to go and get it just to replace it, right? So um, yeah, so one of the trucks that uh, one of our buddies was driving uh, or the truck that our buddy was driving got blown up on the way back. And that's pretty much what kicked off um, the, kind of the chaos. I remember I was outside and I heard that the metal, just like the sound of the IED hitting the truck and you could hear the metal, just like, like that gut wrenching sound. It was just like yeah. unbelievable. And I had, I, I, I was stunned. I didn't know what it was. Couldn't like, couldn't, cause I'd never heard the sound before like that, you know? Right. And, um, the chief came out and, you know, he was always the, like the go-to point. He came out of the op center and said, Hey, um, the, the truck got hit, go to the battle stations. And so right. for me, that meant get my equipment and run to the vehicle that overlooked, actually the overlooked, but faced north and uh, overlooked uh, where the truck got hit. So we got mm. the vehicle up on the ramp, which you'll see in some of the images that we've shared. These like We have these ramps built into the VSP where you could drive the vehicle up so you can get the gun over the HESCO. Yes. Yep. yep. So we're looking over the HESCO and uh, get the vehicle up, being able to look over, over the HESCO, and you could just see the smoke. And you could see the the like the like the there's like breaks in the wall, and you could kind of see like right next to the break in the wall is where the vehicle was. You could see kind of people and folks moving around back and forth. So yeah, that was uh, we that was when the vehicle got hit, and uh, those guys got shaken up pretty badly, but no one got no one got killed from that. And um, then we had to send the uh, basically a rescue mission, QRF, to go get them. Uh, mm-hmm. because that area where they got hit was, I mean, we had taken fire from their 
constantly. You know, that was the last outcrop of buildings right before you got to the open area between us and the VSP. So right, right they got hit like right in the right, right, right where uh right in the open areas. So um yeah. Um I I was not on the QRF, but uh they got mounted up. Um they walked out to go get them and uh that's when the EOD guy uh, got hit, basically uh, by a secondary, uh, lost his leg. Yeah, or that was flight, a, that I was guess. a Navy EOD technician, correct? That's right. Yeah. Um, and how well did he know Staff Sergeant Bales? <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. Days. That, yeah, that's exactly it. Because part of, he came in as part of the reorg the, or the, right. the switch out. Mm-hmm. So that's why I brought that up. You know, so. Like, he yeah. hadn't really known him and we hadn't really done many missions because we had just at that time we were getting hit at the base so much that it was like <laughs> why are we going to go on mission when we're just getting hit like it's kind of crazy yeah. you know what i mean like sure. sit there at the house yeah. and your flip-flops and, and fuck them up exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh we got yeah, plenty of pictures of that us in like pt uniforms like you know body armor just getting it in and it's you know, it's mm-hmm. every infantryman's dream yeah. is to, to get in a gunfight and flip-flops as pts yeah. with, yeah. with a beard and his body armor with a beard, with a beard, yeah. with a beard. or what we again selection starts every two weeks. Exactly. Yeah. So um, we got to we got to grow our beards out. That's actually a funny story, Chong. We got to we got to grow our beards out until um, the like the, the like people higher ups would show up, and then it would be like, "Hey, hurry up, go shave your face," and you got like. 10 infantry dudes like stuffed into a Connex that has like two dirty ass sinks in it that has like disgusting water coming out of it. And we're all like trying to <laughs> shave our face. Like it was crazy. It was so crazy. And some of those guys yeah. could really draw, could like really grow beards, you know, but not me. So yeah, it was probably not one of them. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I got, I got to the point to where the Afghans would ask the interpreters if I, if I was an Afghan. Like, oh, that, really? like that, that's the kind of, but that's also how dirty we were because not only yeah. did we not have laundry, we had probably the craziest shower facilities. I mean, I was blessed just to have shower facilities period, but like a shower connex that was like, <laughs> like the water is crazy, man. There was no, it was just wild. It was just so disgusting. It was so bad. Yeah. It was so bad. But, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Well, it should have been up there on Spearman Guard, man. I know. Castle I'm in the cl- sky. Cl- I hear man, you guys' stories. I just get, I get like... It, enraged <laughs> it was worth shaving every day to have that shower now the showers yeah, were still gross but they weren't yeah, at least they ran and they were we outdoor were, showers so and they were summer, outdoor showers real which is nice. really nice yeah. Except look at the stars while you take a shower nice. yeah. it's actually kind of pleasant because the, the water's hot because it was 130 degrees all day not because there's any kind of heating applied to it yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um so but, but it's safe to say that uh that bobby bales and this navy eod technician were out best friends no. That is safe to say. Yeah, yeah. It was more <laughs> they probably met each other like three times. Huh? That's a, that's a like, I, I know how it goes. Like, like it probably took us like two months before we realized it was cool to hang out with our EOD team that lived on our cop. And yeah, even yeah. still, like we're, you know, some people maybe were really close friends, but it was just like general acquaintances. Yeah, I can't imagine that he just met this Navy EOD guy. It's like, oh man, this is my new best friend. Yeah, can't imagine yeah. what I'd do if he lost his leg. Yeah. It's just yeah. it was yeah, it was like I can't when I heard when I heard that, I was just like, wow man, this guy's really fishing for anything. He's reaching, yeah. Yeah. So Well and even uh I, th- I don't remember if it was before or after that ID strike, but a couple of guys in our battalion had got caught like smoking hash. So when oh, that happened, yeah. everybody because we we didn't have to wear patches, we didn't have to shave, like we could pretty much yeah, wear we whatever wore uniform. Staff, yeah, exactly. So after that happened, the battalion put out or the company put out, we had to like they had to enforce standards essentially. So mm-hmm. we had to start shaving, start doing all this stuff. And then it was coming out that they're going to start piss testing 
And I remember specifically, he was freaking out about being piss tested. He asked another yes. squad leader. I was standing right there. He goes, hey, man, do you think we're they're really going to piss test us? And he's like, yeah, I think so. And he, <laughs> I want to say two or three days later is when we went and blew up that tree mm-hmm. and he made us start chopping it up. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like so that, so that tree that you guys went to go blow up, um, what, was the, what was the reason and significance behind that? Uh, that, that tree was the one they'd used as a IED marker. So they used that and then we went and blew it up, had to drag it back. And then we actually used these right here to chop up these trees. <laughs> oh, man. That, the that axe, like battle axe. Yeah. Is, that, is that, a t- oh, that wouldn't be a tomahawk, tomahawk. Luke has a tomahawk, tomahawk. Well, we, we had a, we had a platoon, a battle axe that, uh, like a mace that we used to carry around because it was our company. Like That's we badass. won our chat, our challenge. So we were mm-hmm. like, we were Spartan platoon. So we had like a, Ugh. yeah. And we had to, that's a great story actually. God. Bales used to line the platoon up and be like, what is your profession? Oh, and we'd be like, oh, 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 dad. Like seriously. And he would like, he would be mad if you didn't do it. Like really upset Ugh. if you didn't do it. He would have been really mad that at sounds me. sounds terrible. Yeah. 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 I'm cringing yeah. right now just thinking about it. It's been terrible. False years. motivation is yeah. better than real motivation sometimes. But yeah, He would have hated me. Yeah, he would get he would get upset about. Um, I we didn't go to the party that they had before deployment. There's a a pre deployment party mm. at a VFW, and oh yeah, he cornered me uh, like the on the Monday afterwards and was like, "Hey brother, why didn't you uh why didn't you show up? You know we're gonna have a great time." And I was just like, "Oh yeah, Raj Sarn, you know I couldn't have a ride there, and I didn't feel I don't have a car, so I you know I had to have somebody drive me, and the person's gonna drive me would be." you know, possibly drinking. So I don't have anyone do a, do a DUI. I really just didn't want to go, you know, to be honest. Yeah. I didn't really want to right. drink with Siren Bales, you know, but like, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I stayed in my barracks room instead and slept. You know what I mean? Like we're about to deploy. I really don't want to <laughs> hang out with you guys. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, right. yeah it was, yeah, he, yeah, he was like, he started taking things. It was like, it's like, a, he took a, like a personal slight and I was like, nah, man, it's not like that at all. I mean, you've yeah. been, you've been the platoon sergeant for, you know, months. You've talked to me a few times, <laughs> you know, most, <laughs> mostly in a derogatory way. Um, yeah, I'm right. pretty good with that. You know what I mean? Like, you, I'm not going to hang out with you after that, you know? Yeah. Well, so you guys go out and you chop down this tree that was used to mark the IED that hit the truck with the Navy guy where he, or the Navy guy lost his foot. Right. right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that mission was kind of crazy. We, um, it was like, hey, all right, so we're going to go recover the truck. The truck got taken to Zangabad, so we had to walk from... Uh, our little VSP, like, I don't know, a mile to Zangabad. And so we're like, all right, we'll, we'll leave out. So everybody else that was infantry was mounted. But because yeah. I had the Wolfhound, I was dismounted with the SF dudes. And we were in the front and the, the vehicle was in the back for like Casavac or, you know, or any kind of like recovery, any, anything like that. So we're walking down the road to uh, the Charlottetown Road towards Zangabad. And as we turn towards the uh, schoolhouse, which is the open area, between Z- Zangabad and the and Charlottetown Road, we start getting yeah. mortar, start taking mortar fire. Mm. So first thing we do is get down, you know, and again, I'm the only infantry dude that's dismounted. So all I do is look to see what the 18 Bravos are doing. <laughs> and I can yeah. see at the front of the formation, everybody is down. And I'm like, okay, I need to get the fuck down. Okay. So lie, get in the prone, look up and everybody's up and running. And I'm like, okay, I need to get the hell up and run. <laughs> and so like i've got these wires from the wolfhound jangling all in my over my head smacking my helmet i've got my like you know 203 still in my tube and i'm just running like 200 meters straight into zangabad 
The vehicle okay. follows us in, and that's how we get to Zangabad. We get there, and the SF guys break off, and they go inside to get Chow because that's what if you're SF and you just got mortared, that's what the hell you do, right? You go eat Chow, <laughs> recover, talk about it, and then go on with your KLE or whatever you were there for to talk to you know the actual conventional forces or whatever. Well, so, I just want to interject here that if you're going to a big fob, the yeah. first thing you do yes. is you find the chow hall yes. every yeah. time. It's, you especially always if you're go straight to the chow hall. Yeah. You if go you're straight there, you exactly. rate it, and then you go off and do what you're yeah, supposed you, to do. You shamelessly stuff muffins and honey buns into every pocket you got. <laughs> Absolutely. You take yes. energy drinks and everything. Water. Especially when it's a, exactly. You know, it's SF bad. or not, it, 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 is, it is code. Yeah. Exactly. Unless you're going to like some little tiny cop, then it's a dick move to go raid their... their yeah. Whatever they have, the happen to have as a defect. It's like, come on. <laughs> Fobbits, Fobbits can, can, can do with less. Okay. So yeah, that, exactly. that was the yeah. mentality. And that yeah. was that was definitely adopted uh, worldwide. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like you that. guys didn't get to do that, right? Because of bales. No. Like, I was, again, <laughs> just got done running, like carrying all this stupid stuff that I think is stupid, but it's actually important. You know, I'm just like, it sucks sure. carrying it, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I get, and like, I'm smoked, you know, I haven't done cardio, you know, I'm not running around the VSP all the time. You know what I mean? There's no treadmills. <laughs> like, what are like, what are we doing? I'm smoked, you know, but I am lifting yeah. weights, you know? So like, sure. I'm like, <laughs> I'm there, I'm smoked. And he's like, uh, he's like, come on, we got to go get the truck. We got to go like to the truck. And I'm like, sorry, I'm about to go inside. I was about to get some, you know, food, you know, refuel. Cause we, guess what? We just got mortar and we still have to go back. <laughs> right. We're only halfway yeah. here. And, uh, no, he kind of, Kind of threw a little attitude, a little hissy fit with me, um, which happened a few times. I was, I'm, I have this uh, genuine ability to press people's buttons. So, yeah, I don't know. I just was able to use it on bales a couple times, and there's a couple funny anecdotes from that. But um, you, you were an older private too, weren't you? Yeah, like I joined the army at 24. I had worked yeah. at an airport before, like in the freezing cold in Philadelphia. Like I had. Uh, basically got kicked out of Villanova university already. Like I had been, I had been battle worn and tested by the time I joined the army. I was like, <laughs> yeah. all right, like what's going on here? You know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. that's one thing I've noticed with a lot of, a lot of older, older recruits is like, if you're older than like 22, 23 years old, when you join the army as like, as enlisted yeah. and you've actually like, yeah, the NCOs don't like that. I ran into that a bunch. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean I didn't mean to uh, interrupt. Please continue. I was typically older than my NCOs at the beginning. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, it's a common thing. I also have this incredible ability to be sensible at times. It's like this unknown, like common sense law that should apply that I think m- most of you all have too. But it seems like yeah. most of my leaders, at least in the early part of my career, did not possess that. <laughs> like they would just why be like no longer in the military yeah, <laughs> yeah like i'd be like what like why are we like mopping the motor pool when it's raining like what are we doing yeah, <laughs> like, like what are we doing or we're, we're lining up strikers we're draw we used to draw chalk lines in the motor pool to like line up the strikers and then it's seattle so it rains yeah so the chalk goes away i'm like what are we doing like what are Bro, we doing right now we raked like, leaves with a broom that one time we have pictures of it yeah yeah, like 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 <laughs> hey hey these leaves are bad. It's like yeah, Roger, sorry, we understand that. We're going to get out there and hey, we'll handle it. It's like all right, he, here's the equipment. It's like okay, cool. Like yeah. It's like stupid shit. Here's some oranges and make some lemonade. It was like what's going on? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you guys, uh, you get in there, Bells is refusing to let you go in the chow hall, so you know, you're obviously prickled. <laughs> yeah. That, what what's the what's the story in that in the tree then? How are those two associated with each other? So, I'm prickled. And I don't give a damn what we do at, on on the way back at this point because I just want to mm-hmm. go back and eat. So 
I, I walk to the very front of the formation when, once we uh, strip the vehicle and leave. Um, and I met, mind you, this vehicle has been blown up. So mm-hmm. it's like a vehicle that we had a guy get a purple heart from, you know, like he's, you know, he's like a part of the guys to like rest, do the, like the rescue, the radios and like pull some of the wiring harnesses out that we may need and so forth. Right. So I don't know, maybe some spiritual connection with it, but um <laughs> When we were on our, our way back, he decides the so we we happen to go by the tree that uh, the mm. same area exactly right where the vehicle got blown up. So we're on the way back, mm. and they decide, hey, we need to cut this tree down. Chong, you want to take it from here? Was that that was that the ODA that decided they wanted to cut the tree down? Honestly, I don't know who made the I, decision. I really don't. Uh, you know, you get two idiots in a room, you, you never know what can happen. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it was an ODA, but you never know. It, it like, doesn't sound know. like an ODA. It doesn't yeah. sound like an ODA. That's why. Exactly. That's why it was so weird. Like, we never did anything like that. Why would we stop a tactical movement to... I mean, I understand yeah. that, like, okay, I like I understand that on a patrol, that makes sense. But we are literally going from one place and back. Like, right. that, that tree... Yeah, exactly. We could have hit down the first way on the way out going somewhere else. It just it just didn't make sense to do it then and there. That's my point, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, man, we took some C4, blew it up. I think we wrapped around one of the RGs and dragged it, you know, like the whatever, 0.8 miles back to the VSP. And uh, right. Bales just had us, he, we had like four Tomahawks. He just had us hatching at it all day. Probably yep. took us this six hours yeah. to get it down to like where he was satisfied it was small enough. And we had this Jeez. small little burn pit. And um, when we were done, like we were walking back to the B-Hut and me and... uh. One of the other saw gunners, I we <laughs> we just saw him standing there smoking a cigar, looking into this burn pit as this tree was burning, and uh, it was just one of the most bizarre scenes I've ever seen. And then, lo and behold, probably like six hours later, he goes out and and uh, does his thing. So I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't him sitting there enjoying a cigar and looking into the enjoying the campfire. He, he was like, you know, boring holes in that fire, yeah. premeditatedly. Maybe it, it was a thinking. bizarre, this, this bizarre was, sight. This was four days before when when you bombed the tree. It was a couple days before, right? Um, nah, it was like the day before. No, it was it was a couple days before, but it took us time to get the to break the tree down and oh, okay. get it to, to that part. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like because so we, so we blew the tree up a few days later, but yep. by the time it was firewood, was the day exactly. was the night before. Exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. Because he was he was out there with <clears> it, like trying to chop get us to chop it down. But then, like, I remember I was like, I, I negotiated with him, which is one of the rare times. Like, I was like, hey, if I go work out right now, I don't want to miss my chance with my team leader because me and him would work out all the time together at night, right? So I was like, I don't want to miss the opportunity to work out. And he was like, yeah, you're good. We'll start this again tomorrow. Like, just oh, weird okay. stuff, yeah. like weird yeah. stuff that like, you're like, oh, man, like this guy's really thinking about this tree. Like, this is kind of, yeah, it's kind of OD, man. He's, it was just like. He's uh, honed in on this tree, man. He's, yeah. Like projecting yeah. all of these mm-hmm. things, and we have to be honest also that like when um, the the first time that we found out the EOD guy lost his leg, when they called the battle roster number, we thought it was somebody else. We thought it was one of the infantry dudes. So mm-hmm. for us on the other end of it, hearing on the radio, we had already assumed that we had just lost one of our guys. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously yeah. we did, but not one of our conventional force guys. You know? Yeah. So yeah. it was kind of like losing someone, and then finding out like, oh, we actually did lose somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but in short, I mean, whatever the particularities of the situation, something in this dude broke. And so he ends the day sitting there smoking a cigar, staring into the abyss. Um, so 
guys, thanks for hopping on. We'll go ahead and wrap up part one. For the audience, stay tuned and come back next week for part two as we uh, pick it up where we leave off and continue this crazy, wacky, wild saga of this story and uh, get the details from some dudes who were there who saw some things that are really, really interesting and make it much more complex. So join us next week for Robert Bale's part two. Thanks, guys.